All right, Chloe Sutton, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing, Brett? Very well. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, you've got an amazing story, and I'd love for you to share it with a lot of people. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited that you're doing this. I think it's somewhat long overdue, and um, you know, I love listening so far, and I can't wait to, to continue to follow along in the future. Yeah, I mean, I've told you many times we have such great conversations and we talk in depth about how you got to where you are and and what drives you and what motivates you and um, all those sorts of things I think are so important to share. And and I've had great conversations with a lot of really good coaches and athletes in the past few weeks just working on this. And I think we can all learn so much from each other. So I'm glad we can share this stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. So you're the only swimmer in, well, you were the first swimmer in U.S. history to qualify for the Olympics in open water and and the pool at the same time, correct? Um, so I qualified for my first Olympics in open water in 2008 and then uh, the pool in 2012. So I'm the first and only woman to qualify for both. But um, I believe, who was the male Olympian this past year? I think he qualified in both open water and pool swimming. So there has been a male, but there hasn't been a, another female yet. That's pretty cool though. It's a pretty, pretty nice thing to, to accomplish, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm super proud of it. And it's, it's cool to have such a diverse knowledge of swimming, you know, across, you know, really probably the, the largest span of distances you can really have. So, um, you know, I, I, it, it's, it's been fun for me to just be able to have that perspective and share that with, with others. How were you able to go from the pool and also into the open water at the same time? Did you vary your training or was it, did it go hand in hand? So what a lot of people don't really realize is open water isn't like just a long, slow or long, fast swim. It's very strategic. And the key to being a good open water swimmer, um, I mean, part of it is being able to swim for that long of a time. But it's all about just like really trying to save up as much energy as you can and waiting. And then right at the end, sprinting past everybody. So you do have to have a lot of speed. So, you know, my first Olympics was the 10K. And again, that's, that's what it's all about is conserving energy and then sprinting and be able to pass everybody at the end. If you're just purely like a, the type of person that can just swim for a really long time, you're not going to be able to make that move at the end to win the race. So when I started training for my second Olympics, you know, just focused more on the pool. You know, I was focused on pretty much the 200 to the 800 since the 1500 hadn't been added yet. Um, you know, it was very natural because I, most of my training had just been, you know, slow swimming and then trying to go fast all of a sudden. And so then basically for my second Olympics, all you did was you took out the long, slow stuff, the energy conservation for like nine and a half K and you just focused on that last sprint. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's a very natural progression. And, and when you're an open water swimmer too, you might have a few practices a month or a few practices a season where you go out in the open water, but almost all of your training is in the pool. And, oh. you know, I was also in a group of swimmers who were very talented in the pool as well as a few open water swimmers. So, you know, my practices were the same as the people that were training for the 400, 800 mile, um, even though I was training for specifically the 10K when I was younger. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And you have a pretty unique story too, you know, growing up, you, you didn't take the conventional path. I mean, your, your family were in the military, right. And then moved around a lot. And then you ended up uh, foregoing 
college to to become a professional mm-hmm. swimmer at a very young age. So talk us about your your childhood growing up and what was that that was like. Yeah, so I am just a very all the way or not at all kind of person, and I wish I could just chill out sometimes, but I really can't. I always say I have no chill. You know, I have to go for it. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to be the best at it. So, you know, I went to my very first swim practice when I was six years old and I got out of the water and I told my mom that I didn't want to do any other sports anymore. And I actually encourage most swimmers to do other sports. But like I said, I'm just not the type of person that can kind of split my attention between several different things. Um, So I told my mom I didn't want to play any other sports anymore. I only wanted to swim. And I also told her I was going to go to the Olympics someday. And, you know, my philosophy through most of my training was um, a couple of things. First of all, if you always do what's always been done, or if you do what's always been done, you'll get what what everybody else has always got, right? Mm. And that can be applied to yourself as well as just in the in the realm of, you know, what everybody's always done. If you do that same thing, you're going to be the same as everybody else. Um, so you've got to find ways to separate yourself from the crowd. How can you do more, do better, um, in order to rise above? So you know, I feel like that's why I really took a lot of unconventional routes, um, made a lot of, you know, choices that might not be the huge, um, because I just felt like in order to, to stand out, I needed to do something different. Um, and the other philosophy I always had was, um, anything that isn't contributing directly to my goal is actually against it. You know, if you're not for it, you're against it. And so I just eliminated throughout my life, a lot of things that, I felt like we're either distraction or that took energy away from my training. So, you know, when I was 14, I decided to do an independent study program. Um, I told my parents that I wanted to do like an online school program instead of actually having to go to school. I felt like there was just a lot of wasted time throughout my day. Um, And so that was, you know, I think a difficult choice. I don't think I'd recommend for anybody because it's hard to be alone all the time. But, um, you know, I did all my high school and my college on online programs. But now, you know, it's better and faster. As you know, Brett, um, I work from home. And so I do the same thing that I've done since I was 14 as I wake up. And it's on me to be disciplined and to get my work done. And, um, you know, that's, it's, it's benefited me now in the long run. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I've made a lot of kind of untraditional choices as far as that goes. It sounds like a very mature approach for a young person. Were you being guided by your parents or did they allow you to make your own decisions or how was that being done within the the structure of the family? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I remember my mom sitting both me and my brother down and saying, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want? When you look at, you know, when you think about yourself as, as an adult, what do you want? And I remember my brother being like seven or eight years old and my mom said, Colin, what do you want to be one day? What do you want? And my brother said a big house and a pretty wife. <laughs> and um, so my mom said, okay, that's a good goal. You want to have a big house and a pretty wife. <laughs> um, what are the kind of things that you think you need to do in order to do that? So if you want a big house, you probably need to make a lot of money. So you probably need to go to college and you need to get a good degree and you need to work and get a good job. And so, you know, in order to do all that, you need to get good grades now. Right. And, you know, she kind of asked guiding questions like that, you know, well, well, what do you want? Okay. Well, if you want that, then here are the things you probably need to do to do that. And that, you know, made it very clear for us that, um, you know, our actions and our choices and our efforts throughout our everyday life needed to match the goals that we had in the future. And so when my mom sat me down and asked the same thing and I said, I want to go to the Olympics someday, 
you know, my mom says, okay, well, if you want to go to the Olympics someday, you probably need to go to practice every day and you probably need to work on your technique and, you know, this, that, and the other. And, you know, it, it made it make sense that, you know, in order to achieve a high goal, your actions really need to match what your goals are. You know, it, it bugs me when we're at swim camps and, um, you know, a swimmer comes up to me and says they want to go to the Olympics someday, but they only go to practice a couple of days a week and, you know, they're not eating healthy and they play video games till midnight and go, okay, well, you either need to re-examine your choices every day or you need to re-examine your goals, you know, and I really feel like my family instilled that in me is, um, you know, if this is really what you want, these are the things you need to do. So, you know, my my, my parents, my family, uh, my mom specifically was the most involved. Um, she was really, you know, guiding and encouraging along the way, you know, when things got hard. Um, but I was always the one that was saying that this is my goal and this is what I want. Um, and my mom definitely wasn't the one to make the decision to not go to school or to not swim in college. Um, you know, that was more, you know, she asked, okay, you know, we had a long conversation talking about the pros and cons of it. And, um, you know, okay, well, ultimately, what is important to you? Because she would be, she would have probably been just as happy if I would have made, you know, traditional choices to be just a, you know, regular college student or even a college swimmer or, um, you know, if whatever choice I made, she would have been happy with it. But, she, you know, my mom knew that. And I told her I wasn't going to be happy or that's not true. I wasn't going to be fully satisfied or I needed to really pursue this goal. Um, I needed to really see it out in order to, you know, feel like looking back on my life, I didn't have any regrets. Yeah. Wow. That's big choices. What was ultimately some of the things where you felt like college just wasn't going to fit you and, and wasn't the right path for you? Yeah. So, um, yeah, probably the biggest thing is I don't like short course. If my coach, when I was training, I, I trained under coach Bill Rose. If coach Rose told us that, you know, guys, practice is going to be a short course tomorrow morning. You don't have anybody to switch the pool. I'd volunteer to show up at 4 a.m. and switch the pool myself. Like, I just, I was not a short course swimmer. I never did well at short course. I just way preferred long course. Um, so that was a big contributing factor. And then, you know, at the time, I was also an open water swimmer. And I didn't, it wasn't clear to me how I would be able to continue my open water training, um, swimming for a college team that really more prioritizes, you know, at the most mid-distance events way over, you know, most coaches, you know, prioritize the relays. And, um, you know, I knew I would have probably been a strong relay swimmer. My 100 and 200 freestyles were strong. And I wanted to focus on where my bread and butter really was. Um, you know, I also, there was a lot of factors. So stop me if I'm going too far down a list. Um, I also... Um, you know, moving around so much growing up, being on so many different swim teams, I, you know, went to Coach Rose when I was about 15 years old, and I was with him for about three years by the time, you know, that decision came around, and I couldn't imagine leaving a coach again. You know, I just wanted some consistency in my life. I wanted mm. a coach that was going to be there for me, and um, and we had a really good thing going, you know, and I just, I really didn't want to have to pick up and move again and start all over with a new coach. Um, cause you know, it, I know for, you know, I know through experience just how hard it is to go to a new team and hope that it's a right fit. You know, a lot of times we'd move to an area and I'd be on a team for a month and realize it wasn't really a good fit for whatever reason and switch teams again, you know, it was, it's hard. So, um, 
you know, there's, there's a lot of factors. And luckily for me, you know, I think kind of being a no chill kind of person, I really am very decisive in the decisions that I make. Um, I, I get a gut feeling and I, I really feel confident in it and I go with it and, you know, things have worked out. So, um, yeah, it was really, I didn't, I didn't really question the decision ever. Um, but I do get questioned about it a lot. Sometimes it, it feels like it's a little hard to explain, but, um, but most people are understanding at this point. Well, I think you did a good job. I mean, it sounds super logical when you put it in those terms, but I think the thing yeah. that most people, can't come to term or grips with because they, they just don't get that mentality is how are you so driven at such a young age? How are you, your goals are just, I want to be an Olympian. And, and for most 15 year old girls, they may think that for a little while, but they might grow out of that or the influence peer pressure wise, or, you know, a lot of things change, but it seemed like you were stuck on this path from a very young age. Yeah. And I don't know if I know how to answer that. Um, it was just something that I kind of had in me. Um, I'm not sure really where it came from. My mom says the same thing. She was just kind of like, Oh, okay. <laughs> she was just kind of along for the ride. Um, and for the longest time, I didn't understand why other people weren't that way. Um, why anybody could, you know, for example, my brother, he's extremely successful, but you know, he was a football player you know, and when I talked to him about football, he'd be like, yeah, I mean, I'm okay, but I'm not, you know, the best. I mean, I'm not, you know, he's like, I'm not going to play in the NFL. And I'm like, well, why would you play football if you're not going to try to be like the NFL MVP? <laughs> I didn't understand why he would just go and like train every day um, with the mindset of, you know, it's fine. You know, my friends are there, um, you know, it's a scholarship. So that's great. And um, you know, I have a good time. I'm proud of being a football player, but I don't need to be the best. It would just drive me crazy. And, you know, now as, you know, 28 year old who's, you know, married and wanting to start a family soon and stuff. I'm like, I kind of hope my kids are more like my brother and more just able to be kind of chill and happy with whatever comes their way. Cause you know, there are sometimes when I don't need to be the best. <laughs> there are sometimes when I do wish I could just kind of chill and relax. And I'm, I'm working on that now. Cause you know, at least within my job, it's a good skill to have. But when I'm playing board games with my church group, that's not really a thing I want to have come out, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So, um, you know, it's really something that's, you know, a little bit of a a double-edged sword where it can be a really good thing sometimes, you know, obviously I'm very proud of what I've achieved throughout my career. It's great for, you know, the job that I have now, but there are certain areas where I wish I could just do this thing without feeling like I've got to obsess over it. Yeah. How did you deal with failure or uh, in your eyes perceived failure, you know, something that you may not have achieved a goal? Um, How did you deal with things like that? Yeah, that's a great question because I think everybody deals with disappointment, failure um, in their own kind of way. Um, And it would depend on the circumstance. But ultimately, I think with my personality type, I don't think I can really tell you, at least in the moment, if I ever was truly satisfied with any race I ever swam. There were races I was happy with, and I was like, okay, that was pretty good. Like, oh, I won that one, or I qualified for this team. But there was always more I could achieve. And I feel like there's a lot of really high-level athletes that have that mindset where, you know, they can be okay with a race. You know, okay, that was good, but I want more. You know, I always, I, I never fully achieve the goals that I, I 
laid out for myself. You know, I, I wanted to achieve a much higher level. And a lot of people kind of have trouble understanding that and how I can continue to be driven. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, never really thinking of anything as a failure, same way as I never really thought of a success as a real success. It was always a part of the growth process. It was always a part of, of learning and developing, you know? So, um, you know, a bad race was just an opportunity to learn. A good race was just an opportunity to learn. And it took me a while to really be satisfied and proud of what I accomplished throughout my career, given that I ultimately didn't win a gold medal, you know, it took me a while to get there. So, you know, it's, uh, I think that growth mindset is just super important, but it can be difficult when the growth mindset transitions into uh, also every, you know, decent race is also a growth mindset, you know, that there's always more. But I think that is one of the things that also led me to be successful. And I can now look back and be proud of what I accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of great results there. And and one of the things that kind of comes to mind is in this Olympic year, everybody wants to compete for the US in this country. What's it actually like Mm -hmm. competing for the United States of America at the Olympic Games? You know, I've never been a cool kid, you know, I've never really cared about it. But when you're on Team USA, and you're wearing the Team USA sweats, and you walk in anywhere as a group, people stop and look, you know, you just feel like the cool kids, you know, especially, you know, 2008, 2012, you know, Team USA was so strong. That was, you know, 2008 is when Michael Phelps won the eight gold medals. Mm. You know, you walk around with that crew and um, you just, you feel like the cool kid on the block, you know, and, and that's something I've, I've never experienced before or since. Um, but you just feel so proud, you know, especially growing up in a military family. I have a lot of patriotism um you know i've my family's always hung the american flag on the outside of our house you know you know with my dad being in the air force you know a lot of saluting and living on air force bases where um you know everybody there has so much just love for their country so being able to to wear the red white and blue and sing the national anthem uh, it was it was really really special i still tear up every time i i sing the national anthem (laughs) it's you know, it's like my school fight song with not having competed in college. You know, the national anthem is the team that I got to compete on where we were successful. So um, it's something I'll always treasure. Um, and, you know, both my husband and I are, are very patriotic. So it's it's special to be able to have that experience. Yeah. You were around at the time when Katie Ledecky kind of came came to kind of show the world who she was. What was that like at that time yeah. when she was kind of exploding onto the scene? Yeah. So right toward the end of my career is when she was really exploding. Um, so my second Olympics in 2012, that was when, you know, she qualified for the 800, but I actually passed her um, in the 400 to qualify for the team. So she was third. I was second. Allison Schmidt was first in the 400 free in 2012. Um, so I still didn't, I don't know. I didn't think of her too much at that point, but then, yeah, she kind of came out of nowhere in London to win that 800. Um, and then now watching, you know, over the years, her become just this unstoppable force is pretty amazing. Um, I love that she's brought a lot of attention to the distance events. Cause I remember a lot of times during my events, like, you know, walking out for my race and seeing people like, oh, okay, it's time for a snack break and being kind of bummed about it. But now people actually stick around 
to watch the distance races, you know, because what she does is so phenomenal. So um, it's cool to follow. It's cool to watch and, and to see the sport grow, especially in those distance events. Yeah, I'd imagine it'd be pretty tough to be dominant for that long, especially in distance. I mean, the, the amount of work that you guys put in and the day-to-day routine would, would be very taxing. Uh, can, is it a pretty incredible from your eyes to see how successful, successful she's been over such a long period of time? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, I mean, in any event, I think, you know, yeah, distance events and distance training takes a lot of um, just like, I'm not sure, stamina, I guess, tenacity um, to just be able to focus for that period of time. But I really don't think that distance swimmers train any harder than anybody else. I think, you know, if anything, some of the sprinters that have stayed on the top for a very long time, I think that's even more incredible because, the fractions of a second that you're dealing with just absolutely blow my mind. Um, So, you know, I think just in any event, in any sport, uh, you get these certain phenoms that just have longevity. Um, And, you know, I think the secret to it that I've noticed is they don't really think about it. They don't really think that they're doing anything all that insane. (laughs) You know, they know what they're doing is pretty cool, but most of the, you know, really amazing athletes that I've worked with and swam with and um, watched, just don't think about it. They don't question it. This is just what they do and they just do it and they just keep doing it. And then eventually they decide to stop, you know, um, they don't overthink the amount of work that they're doing. So, you know, I think long, I think Katie Ledecky has a, a long career in her still. I mean, she's still fairly young and has a lot more to do. Um, but it'll also be fun to start seeing maybe some other younger swimmers start to nip at her heels a little bit. Cause I think that, you know, Team USA and and around the world too. I think distance freestyle has even more in them. You know, it's going to be cool to see what happens. You think that there's nobody that is ever going to be as fast as that, but then somebody comes along. Yeah. How did you get to the point, the decision where you decided that was it for me? You know, in order to swim at my best, I had to want to swim fast as much as I wanted to breathe. It needed to be a need for me. Um, I had to go into every race going, like, if I don't win this race, like, I don't even know what's going to happen. Like, I had to have to swim fast. It had to be my entire heart and soul. And I just remember starting to have things in my life that were kind of more important. Um, You know, I started kind of making friends. I started dating a little bit, started leading swim camps and really feeling like I was coming even more into my own at swim camps. And um, there were just things that started to become as important, you know, to me. And as soon as there were other things in my life that mattered, um, swimming just didn't matter as much to me. And I just wasn't able to put my heart and soul into training that amount of training, you know, with it being one of the things that I cared about instead of the only thing that I cared about. So, you know, it, it was, you know, it was, you know, again, I'm, I'm the type of person that just really has these gut instincts. And after the 2014 nationals, I was just like, you know, I didn't swim well at those nationals. And frankly, I I don't really care. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was like, maybe that's a sign. If I don't really care that I didn't swim that well. And I didn't really get nervous going into any of the races. And I didn't really want to swim either. I mean, I was just like, man, this is kind of telling me something. And so I decided to just take a little break and see how I felt. It just felt right. So, um the decision to retire was very easy for me and I was able to 
just kind of transitioning to, you know, sort of faster stuff and, you know, a few other things. Um, but I think the time was definitely right for me. Yeah. So now you're the vice president of fitter and faster swim tours and the leading swim comp uh, tour business in the clinic business in the world. Um, how did that all come about in, in that position and, and where you're at now? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So um, David Arluck, the founder of Fitter and Faster, he was my agent when I was swimming right after the Beijing Olympics. Um, I hired him to help me get some sponsorship deals and stuff like that. And he told me, you know, around 2010, I believe it was, um, beginning of 2010, he said, hey, I've started doing these swim camps as an opportunity for some of my athletes to make a little extra money. This was around the time also that I declared that I was not going to be competing in college. I did that right at the end of, um, let's see, right at the end of 2009. So beginning of 2010, David said, you want to lead some swim camps to make a little extra money? And I said, sure, that sounds fun. And um, he sent me to my first camp, which I believe was in Texas with Ian Crocker. And I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, I've always loved kids you know, even more so than I've always known I wanted to be an Olympian and a swimmer. I've always known that I wanted to be a mom. So um, being able to go and like swim with these kids was really fulfilling something in my life that I didn't even know was there. And as the years went on, you know, I started leading more and more swim camps. You know, like I said, swim camps started to become even more important to me, being really good at them um, than my performances in the pool. So that was one of the reasons I retired in 2015. And then, um, I was, you know, doing pretty good at my own social media and David Arluck asked me if I would, you know, help out with some of the fitter and faster social media. So I took over the Instagram account and the Facebook and um, it was just kind of a little part-time thing, a little fun thing for me to do on the side of leading swim camps. And I taught some like swim lessons and, you know, I did the kind of entrepreneurial, you know, fresh off of retirement swimmer thing for a little bit. Mm. And then, you know, David was pretty happy with how I was running the social media. And he said that he needed some help with um, marketing that, you know, he wanted to add me to the team to help create marketing materials for the company. So that's when he added me on as like the marketing manager um, as a more full-time position. But I had stipulations there with him where, okay, I'll come on, um, you know, for, you know, a, a mostly full-time salary, but I need to take off from work at this time on these days so I can go do some swim lessons and do some other little things. And that worked for a little while, but, you know, I think I was really coming to my own working with Fitter and Faster and David was really happy with what I was doing. And, you know, the company was in, a decent place, but, you know, David really had a feeling that we could be doing a lot more come around mid-2018, and he decided that he asked me if he and I could just together just go crazy and see what we could do, and so around mid-2018, he promoted me to vice president. He and I took over all the sales and marketing. It was pretty much just him and I doing everything within the company. And, um, and we were able to like almost, as you know, Brett, like we almost doubled the business this past year. Um, so it was pretty cool. You know, I just, it was a very natural transition and, you know, David's been a big part of my life for a very long time. So, um, so it's fun now to be able to work alongside him and, um, and with you too, Brett, um, 
Fitter and Faster has been just the perfect job for me going from doing school from home as a high schooler into college and then now working from home. Um, it feels really natural for me. Yeah. I mean, me too. A lot of my, a lot of your story and, and, and your connection with David is, is similar to mine. We, you know, we had a very similar yeah. relationship in that sense and, and progression to where we are now. And, and I love working with you. You're, for sure. you're one of these people that just gets, gets it and gets hard work and understands how to get things done. And uh, I think you just learned that throughout your career as a swimmer. And I think, I think swimmers make great employees, right? You know, we look, we know how to, I think so too. we know how to work hard and uh, we don't, we don't make excuses when things don't go well. We just figure out how to get it done, you know? So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So that's good. Well, so what's on the horizon then uh, for you? You just got recently just got married, right? Yeah. Um, I got married in September and my husband, about two days after our wedding, he accepted a position um, at Tesla. So he's actually in Germany right now working on getting that Gigafactory out in Berlin going. Um, wow. But hopefully he'll be home by Valentine's Day. So <laughs> he, um, he's working really hard. I'm really proud of him. And we're loving Reno. Um, I just recently started making friends. I've got dinner plans tonight with a couple from the church that we go to. So it's just really establishing ourselves as a little family um, and hopefully starting to grow that family at some point soon too. So, you know, a lot of exciting things on the horizon, not maybe as exciting as a lot of people think compared to the rest of my life, but everything that I've got going on now is so, so incredibly exciting. And it's just so fun to be newly married in a new city and um, I'm just having a lot of fun with it. So, you know, I'm just, I'm, planning on just continuing working really hard with fitter and faster you know we've got big plans for this year to do a lot of swim camps and um, I'm really excited about that and just seeing the growth and you know we're hiring also we're looking for somebody to help out with um, with my role um, with the amount of growth that we've had so you know you you guys can start kind of keeping an eye out for that but um, yeah it's it's big I mean everything that we're doing with better and faster and in my personal life is, um, is exciting. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it seems like you're in a, yeah, you're in a great place. I'm uh, really happy for you. Love working with you. And, uh, thanks for sharing some of your story today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Brett. I love being on here. Having, I love to come back anytime. Um, and I'm excited to continue listening. I subscribed on YouTube and, um, can't wait to follow. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chloe. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Thanks, Brett. Bye. All right. Bye.